Good morning. It's been a, a great series so far as we've looked at ways that our relationships can uh, really dive into a deeper relationship with the Lord and with each other. God bringing hope to our relationships. And this morning I want to take a look at one aspect of broken relationships, and that is in the whole area of, of dealing with conflict. But first, the question. Have you ever made a mistake that you just so regret? Have you ever gotten into an argument, a, a, a con- conflict, and while you're in it, when you're down deep into it, suddenly you just stop and you think to yourself, man, this is, this is so dumb. Have you ever gotten to the point that you just think this is so stuck that, that I'm never going to find a way to back out of this into a, a, a better place? Feeling stuck, trapped. You feel as Paul Tripp writes, you feel like you're on a relational amusement park ride that you never intended to be on. Man, I, I've felt like that so many times, and, and I imagine you have as well. Man, if that's you this morning, if you're in a relationship at home, at work, in your family, and cyberspace that's conflicted, making life for you bad, sucking the life out of you, causing you to dread getting up in the morning, and once you get up, hoping you don't run into a certain person or group of people, if, if that's you this morning, then, then this message is for you. Now, when you're trying to get a handle on conflict, there's no better place to go, it seems to me, than the Bible. Conflict is is sort of the consistent thread that runs right through the heart of all of Scripture. You go to Genesis. In the beginning, there was conflict. And God and humanity both agreed that conflict was bad. Conflict right out of the gate in Scripture, between good and evil, God and Satan, which spilled over to humans. And as we, as humans, went rogue, as we turned away from God in a conflicted situation with Him and launched into a full-fledged battle with the one who created us, with the one who, who loves us, all have turned away. The psalmist writes, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There was no one who is with God, not even one. Paul doubles down on that psalm in Romans 3 where he repeats it. He says, there is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become against him. There is no one who seeks good, not even one. And that conflict with God spills into our interpersonal, our human relationships, our relationships with each other. It started with Adam and Eve and runs right down through history to you and me. Nation against nation, person against person, especially within families. Human conflict runs right through history to us, to you and to me today. And so here we are, lost in a culture and a framework of conflict as a nation, as families, as friends, as a church, conflicted. Now sometimes 
seems to me. When you think about conflict, it's not so bad. It's actually sometimes conflict is something that we embrace. I mean, sports are sort of a a controlled conflict, and we love them. We love the challenge of that. A good movie, a, a good book always has conflict right in the heart of it. And the reason it seems to me that we humans kind of embrace certain forms of conflict and chase after it is because that's how we're wired. We're wired to compete, and conflict is part of that. But sometimes it gets way out of hand. We, we travel down roads with each other and with, with God himself in ways that we're never, we never intended to do. So there's some types of conflict we love, but there's other types we don't. I think as a culture, writes Kathleen Hanna, we don't like conflict. We're looking at icky stuff, especially in our downtime. I agree. I mean, nobody likes to look at, as Hannah calls it, icky stuff. And what is worse than conflict? Than that type of conflict, which just sort of sucks the life out of us. And so what do we do? When we encounter it, we, we try to escape it. We ignore it. We sort of turn into ostriches, burying our heads in the sand, hoping the conflicted situation, that relationship will just go away, pretending that it doesn't exist. Or we start to play dirty. We get passive aggressive. We gossip. We talk behind people's back. We go for revenge. Listen, if you're in a conflicted relationship this morning that is sucking the life out of you, all, all is not lost. There is hope. And that's what this message, that's what this series is really all about. Center, peace, really throughout this past year has been, going back into the fall, has been the word hope that we've chased after. Tomorrow can be better, not by wishing it to be, but by a deep, solid hope in the fact that God is on the move in our midst. But really, When you think about it, the ball on that is in your court, you know? Like like when it comes to conflict, the next move is yours. It's, It's always yours. It's up to you to take the first step towards reconciliation, restoration, forgiveness, healing, a new beginning. It's, It's up to you, it seems to me, to create Something, and, and this phrase was given to me this past week by someone, and, and uh, this is not mine, and I have, I have just been kind of thinking about this. It's up to you to create, and this is a, a three-word phrase, and if you live into it, it seems to me the potential is there to radically have your life and especially your relationships transformed from conflict into something totally different. So grab a pen or grab your phone to jot this down. Here it is. When you're in a conflicted relationship, it's up to you to create a space for grace. I mean, is that a great phrase or what? A space for grace. 
You see, you and me, we have been given an abundant amount of grace by God. 1 Timothy 1.14, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And God is able to make grace abound to you, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. Romans 5.17, through Christ, we receive God's abundant provision of grace. You see what I mean? Like, it's just, he, he, Paul states this over and over. It's like a giant bucket of grace has been poured out on me through Jesus. So who am I to hold on to that and to not share it, to pass it on to others I'm in relationship with? So much grace given to us through Jesus, in Jesus, by Jesus. And because of that, out of the abundant amount of grace we have been given, what God asks of us, it seems to me, with his grace, is to be generous with it. It's, it's the least we can do. And so we receive grace from him even when we didn't deserve it. And then with such great cost to him through his son, we're expected to share it with others, to intentionally pass it on, giving it freely to others, creating grace space between us and others, a space for grace, even when they don't deserve it, even when we don't want to do it. Grace. Now, how do we do that? I mean, how do we create this space for grace? Well, it seems to me so much of Paul's writing in the New Testament is about exactly that. Letters to churches that are messed up in chaos. Like, what are you doing? The, the, the kingdom of God is on the move. God has called you into great things. And you're, you're sitting there throwing rocks at each other. What are you doing? Paul's letters get at that instructive way of helping the church embrace what it might look like to have grace space among them, to create space for grace, which involves so much more than just getting along. For example, Romans 12, 17 and 18. Do not repay evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It is possible, Paul writes, as far as it depends on on you, the ball is in your court, he's saying here, to live at peace with who? With everyone. Romans 12, 17 and 18. Hold on to that. Reread that in context today. The message says it this way. Don't hit back. Discover beauty in everyone. If you've got it in you, get along with everybody. Don't insist on getting even. That's not for you to do. I'll do the judging, says God. I'll take care of of it. Don't hit back. Man, remember that game in the back seat of the car with your brother or with your sister? It's like, I hit you last. I hit you last. No, I hit you last. And it goes on and on until mom or dad would turn around and say, knock it off. Like, don't hit back anymore. And then your parents, in in their wisdom and in the moment, would just separate the two of you a little bit. 
And in that separation, this space between the two of you, hopefully things just kind of settle down and you went about your way. Don't hit back, Paul is saying here. Discover beauty in everyone. Create space for grace to seep in. Listen, pull out your pen or your phone again, and underneath where you wrote space for grace, underneath that, write down two relationships, or maybe just one, or situations in your life where that space is needed. And my guess is, is that those names are ones you don't really want to write down, that you'd rather not, that you've expended so much emotional energy into it that you're just kind of done. And, and I understand that, man. Pursuing reconciliation in conflicted relationships is tough. Creating Space for grace is not for the faint of heart. It's hard work, but that is work which really must be done. So jot down a couple of names that you would trust God and pray about it to to help you pursue in the midst of creating some space here. Some space for the grace of God, for God to do his work. Now the best way to get a handle on how that might go about is to look at others who have done it and done it well. And the scripture is full of those. And at the top of my list of someone that understood in a very healthy way what it would mean in incredibly conflicted relationships to create this space for grace, at the top of my list is Joseph of the Old Testament. And, and you know his story, that the coat of many colors and all that. It's been celebrated through history. You learn the story in in children's Sunday school. Joseph of the Old Testament was set up by his dad. His dad set him up um, for what would come later between he and his brothers. Incredibly dysfunctional nonsense going on in this family. You think your family of origin was messed up? Take a look at Joseph of the Old Testament's uh, family of origin and then even run that back generationally going all the way back through the core of the Old Testament. What a train wreck of a family that was. And so it kind of all spilled out with Joseph and his brothers in, in abuse and incredible dysfunction. So much so that his brothers decided they would have him killed. I mean, whatever thing was going on between you and your siblings, it probably never rose to murder. And then eventually they pulled back from that slightly and sold him off as a slave instead. And then later on, I mean, his life, just one turn after another, he was wrongly accused of attempted rape by the wife of his boss and on and on. I mean, here's a guy that went through the ringer of conflicted, dysfunctional relationships. And then, as God would see fit, God raises him up out of the pits of potential incredible despair and and puts him in a position of being the second most powerful person in the world 
the second most powerful person. He, he had all the power of Pharaoh bestowed on him. He was just under the Pharaoh, but many ways he was like exactly the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh trusted him that much. And so there he was. Second most powerful person in the world. And, and you would think, you would think in that moment with all he had around him, he would, the, the, his childhood would be distant past. Like he wouldn't even think about it anymore. Like he was able to just bury that emotionally and ever, other ways and just move on because this was his reality now. And it was, it was spectacular. But the fact is, he hadn't done that. Joseph hadn't done that. So enter his brothers, standing before him, all adults now, in the midst of a famine, they stand before the second most powerful person in the world asking for food. Joseph recognized his brothers. His brothers did not recognize him. And then what ensued next is, is one of the most incredible stories of the Bible. What does Joseph do? What would, what would you do? Joseph could have ordered their heads off, and it would have been absolutely fine, legal, legit. Nobody would have questioned it. Revenge was his for the taking, no problem. But he didn't do it. What did Joseph do? Again, what would you do in a moment like that? Well, Joseph first kind of messes with his brothers. He sends them back. He wants to see his little brother. He wants to know how his dad's doing. He just kind of messes with them before he reveals who he is before his brothers. And it kind of goes on for a little while until finally, in the midst of this roller coaster ride that Joseph had been on, he, uh, uh, and just before he reveals himself to his brothers, um, he, the scripture says six times Joseph did something, which is certainly something that makes total sense. Scripture records that he cried. It's just such an interesting uh, revelation into the heart of Joseph and the fact that the pain had not subsided from back when. And you know what? The pain from our childhood doesn't just dissipate over time. It's powerful stuff. Six times this, this most po- second most powerful person in the world, he cried, he cried, he cried, he cried. He cried. In fact, one time scripture records, he sent everybody from the court and his attendants out. He's in this huge stone palace and he screams and wails in emotional pain so loud they heard him on the street. It, it would be like you're in the Empire State Building 10 stories up and they could hear you down on the street. And then finally the moment comes. The, the, the ultimate moment. One of the most profound moments in all of scripture stand before Joseph are his brothers and Joseph reveals himself to him and they know they are dead they it all sinks in but Joseph speaks with them and he's tender with them and then things kind of move along a bit and crescendo in Genesis 50 verse 20 Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 it is in many ways, one of the most important books in all of, or, uh, verses in all of Scripture. Genesis 50, 20. It's, it's often been called the 50, 20 principle of relationships. It's, it's also been called the gospel 
in a nutshell. Genesis 50, 20. If you have not embraced and, and, and sunk down deep into your heart Genesis 50, 20 before, today is the day to grab that verse and run with it for the rest of your life. Genesis 50, 20. It comes, this little verse does, in two parts. And here is what my kind of reframing of it is. Read it for yourself. Joseph stands before his brothers who, who had done unspeakable things to him. And the first thing he says is, what you did, you meant for evil. He looked at them square in the eye, and he goes, what you did to me, you meant for evil. It's like he went on to say, you could just picture him. He, he went after him verbally. He goes, how could you do that? You stole my childhood. You, you destroyed my, my, my life. I have been in agony over this all these years. How could you? He just let him have it. Now, that is an appropriate first step. And, and he didn't just, he talked about himself. Like, this was so horrible. I didn't have a relationship with my dad because of you. And if he had stopped there, uh, it would have been way short. Healing would not have come. Because what he goes on to say next is so important. He says, but you know what? My God took that horrible thing and made it for good. God took that terrible thing and turned it into good. Only God could do that. If, he had, if Joseph had started with that, if he said, hey, look, you know, it's okay. I'm the second most powerful person in the world. Let's just forget that. Way short. Or if he had just let him have it, way short. The power comes by saying, hey, I'm in agony here. Like, I got to tell you. Like, I'm telling you the truth. But you know what? My God has taken that and is taking this, it's not by chance you're here, and turning it into good. That is Good Friday slash Easter in a nutshell, where God takes the worst thing that's ever happened in the world, way worse than anything that's ever happened to you, the death of his only son, the son of God, and transformed it into the greatest thing that's ever happened in the world, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if he can do that, he can do for you what needs to be done in healing something that's very broken. So how do you create grace space, space for grace? Well, out of Joseph's experience here, out of Genesis 50, 20, clearly three things. One is the timing's got to be right. And I think that's part of why Joseph was kind of messing with him for a while. And he had to deal with some emotional baggage. And then the moment came. Don't rush it. Wait. Wait for the right time. Second, be honest. Like, this, this is killing me. And use a lot of personal pronouns. Don't go like this right out of the gate. Go like this. Like, this is killing me. Like, I am so struggling with this. I heard this was said about me by you. It's coming back to me. I don't, know, I don't know how to handle this. Help me out here. Be honest. And then third, trust God. You know what? You, you, I know you know Christ. He's in your heart. I, Christ knows me. 
let's create some space here for the grace of God to do his work. We may never walk through life arm in arm, but, but this, something's got to change here. And, and let's trust God together. I, I'm committed to that. Wait. Be honest. Trust God. And I dare to believe that conflict can be resolved. And, and the grace of God can come and pervade our relationships. And may that be so. May that be so for you and your relationships with your family, with your friends, in the church, at work. May it be so as together we pursue space for grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for the work you're doing among us that you would bring us together in unity, that far exceeds our capacity to do that. It is by the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the resurrected grace that comes into our individual lives. And may we have the courage to pursue each other and to create and to watch you create, really, the space for grace that is so much needed in a world that's just ripped to shreds in conflict, ripped to shreds, May we, as followers of you, Jesus, lead the way into a future where reconciliation happens across the board. And we thank you in advance. In Christ's name, amen.